Monday, y'all. And that means book club number one of Tactical Fly Fishing by Devin Olson. If you haven't got the book yet, you want to, or if this talk makes you want to get the book, I'll leave the link to that in the description again. It was in the last video, the original video, where I announced that we were doing the book club, but I will leave it in the description again. So the first chapter of the book, other than the introduction, uh, is making and adjusting a plan based on observation. And so something he says in the book is a plan is something to fall back on when things get chaotic or frantic. Now those are my words, but that's basically what he says. And when you're out on the water just fishing recreationally or whether you compete like I do, things can get chaotic. You can get caught up in the moment. It's very easy to get frustrated and lose sight of uh, the stuff that's happening around you. So sometimes you just need to step back, realize, hey, this is somewhat like a situation I fished before, uh, and maybe regroup, switch your fly, switch your technique, or maybe just regroup and realize that you're not targeting the, 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 the water that you should be. But this is all about making a plan based on different variables, and those variables are water quality, water temperature, uh, fish species, fish density, and hatch activity. So we're just going to break down some of that. I don't want to give a verbatim overview of the book because that defeats the purpose and I don't think that's very fair to Devin. If I just tell you everything from the book, there's no reason to buy the book, but I think you really should buy it. It's a great book. So much information, but I'm just sharing some of my major takeaways. So when you get to water quality, obviously you have two different types of water quality. You have clear water and you have dirty water or stained water or whatever you want to call it. So with clear water, Devin points out that you want to try to spot fish and this is a great tactic tactic because if you can spot the fish, you can get a general sense of where they're holding. Personally, uh, well, and he also says that uh, spotting fish is a skill and personally, I'm not the best at spotting fish, but I do understand if you can see fish, you can get more confident, but I also take away where you're catching the fish from. If you do hook fish, if you do catch fish, if you see a fish rise, take note of that. Even if you can't see them, make those mental notes. Hey, like I caught a fish at this depth, this speed, you know, it was shaded along the bank and then target those areas. Still target the other stuff because there still could be fish there and keep an eye out for them, but make notes of where you see fish, where you're catching fish and proceed forward with them. And then especially in clear water, you know, he talks about if you can see the bottom, the fish can see you. And, you know, that's pretty common sense. But one of the key mistakes that I often make that he touches on in the book is you're watching your shadow. I can't tell you how many times I've walked up to the stream and I um, all of a sudden notice where my shadow was. And it's right over top of where I'm fishing. And of course, the fish are not going to take where my shadow is because, you know, they're afraid they could be a bird of prey. Um, it could be a different predator, but you know, there's no sense drifting where your shadow is. So just paying attention to where that is. You also want to separate yourself from the vision of the trout. Uh, he talks about how he's had competition sessions where he's been on your, on his knees. I've also had competition sessions where I've been on my knees the entire time. Maybe should have been on it a little bit more than I was, but getting low, staying out of that line of sight of the fish, maybe using some bushes to obstruct your view. If you're standing on the bank, maybe a large boulder, if you have those, or just keeping a low profile, even just bending down or taking a knee down in the stream, which typically in low clear water, 
you can usually take a knee or squat down the stream or or do whatever without getting super wet so and so he this is a quote directly from the book on page five he says unless i'm downstream of the fish if i can see the fish it can see me uh, and the other thing he talks about is the pa versus west coast kind of urinipping style and so I grew up on the East Coast in New York and in Pennsylvania doing a lot of my fishing there. And so one of the key tactics that I use even here out West and something that I used a lot with, and I, I'm more successful back East when I fish upstream of me. And that's because I'm staying well below the fish and you can actually catch fish just a few feet out in front of your feet, which is pretty amazing. Um, when you do that upstream drift, even whether you're euro-nymphing, whether you're fishing dry dropper, uh, the main situation that I had in the last tactic breakdown video, I was make, I remember explaining those long upstream casts I was making because that water was low and clear and that was with a dry dropper setup. And, that, and that's something he also talks about, you know, your, your keys to being more effective in clear water. You want to prevent the fish from seeing you. So one of the easiest ways to do that is fishing a longer rod. You get better control over your Euro rig, over your dry dropper, over whatever you're throwing. If that rod's a little bit longer, you can stay a little bit far back from the fish and get a more effective drift to the fish while being farther away from them. And then he also talks about using a, a different method uh, tailored to those, uh, to those distance presentations. And that's where stuff like the dry dropper comes in and uh, uh, the dry dropper comes in, you know, potentially an indicator or a poly yarn, a suspension rig, any kind of that, you know, I can't use indicators because of competition rules. So I tend not to practice with them, but you're not limited, of course, by competition rules. If you're just recreational fishing, throw on a strike indicator. Um, if the water is low and clear, you may want to consider what kind of strike indicator you use, uh, and even dry dropper fishing, you, you may want to consider what dry that you're using. Because if you're, like I like to use chubbies, but if the water's low and clear and it's a flat water, really slow, and you slap down a big chubby on the water, you could be scaring the fish. Plus, you also want to think about your nymph bead size. You know, if it's slow, you don't need a three and a half millimeter tungsten bead, or even a three, or even a two five. You know, throwing just a two millimeter bead or even less, maybe even an unweighted fly, in that water because you don't want that bead to smack the water you don't want to be spooking the fish um, and when it comes to indicators you know i talk about you probably don't want a big thingamabobber here it's probably not ideal for you it's probably not beneficial for you in this situation in low clear water especially if you're fishing shallow um, you don't want to fish nymph like that far underneath a bobber that's like this big so some of the things that I pointed out that might be beneficial for anyone using indicators or suspension rigs, maybe those pinch on little foam indicators. You know, there's a tactic that gets talked about later in the book that I'm sure we'll get into called floating your cider. And I think it's very similar using the pinch on foam indicators. I don't think they float very well, but again, if you're using light nymphs, it doesn't matter. It probably won't drag it underneath, especially if there's not that much current. Um, and then Ghost Tech also has their indicator, which came out either last year or the year before. I, I truthfully cannot remember, but it's almost like bubble wrap, it almost looks like. But it sits kind of flat on the surface. Uh, it's, it's very non, it's very discreet, and it's, you know, it's not a big flashy orange or, or pink indicator. But also poly yarn, uh, like New Zealand style, something that's going to land soft. 
Um, you could probably even downsize your poly yarn if you're fishing slow water and light nymphs. You probably don't need that big blob that I see most people use. Um, and I, again, I touched on here, watch your shadow. It's, it's, it's definitely, definitely want to watch your shadow. So just some things to think about. So that's pretty much it for clear water and how I approach that. I mean, I shared some of the stuff how I approached and some of the thoughts that I had. But, you know, this is obviously Devin's breakdown in the book for the most part. So turbid water. So when fishing turbid water, um, let's see, I don't think I had it. Oh, he points out that they, they still feed. Fish are still feeding even in turbid water, which is important. And he focuses on fly characteristics such as large size, a dark base color, uh, a flash or a fluorescent hot spot, uh, and some sort of contrast, you know, a light with that dark color. And so one of the, the, my favorite things that I've done this year specifically, especially after watching Adaptive Fly Fishing by Lance Egan and Devin Olson, a, another great resource if you're interested uh, in learning more um, from either this book or what Devin's ideas are and Lance's ideas are. Great, great, great film. But so I've been doing a lot of streamer fishing on my Euro rig. And so where I incorporate some of those things is my favorite Euro streamer, which I'll actually leave the link to, Fly Fish Food has a great video on it. Uh, it's just essentially it's a black woolly bugger, but I fish it kind of with a longer tail. Uh, the body is a black flashy material. You know, I, I don't really have the contrast, I'm not going to lie, or the hot spot that Devin talks about in in his, his characteristics, but I, I have that large size. I'm fishing like a size 8, size 10 streamer, which is pretty big and pretty able, pretty able to be seen in uh, in dirty water for sure. Um, so like I fished the Yampa at flood stage, uh, you know, I'm at West Coast, we have a lot of runoff. We get uh, typically a blowout in the spring. And, you know, I fished the Yampa at flood stage and, and one of the tactics that I was using is whenever possible I was fishing super tight to the bank and if I could do that from the bank that was ideal if I couldn't I would try to wade out towards the center and then fish the bank back towards me and I distinctly remember a picture from George Daniels dynamic nymphing of a nice brown trout he caught just doing exactly that standing in the middle of the stream and fishing back towards the bank and so you, you want to be a little safe there with with tricky currents and whatnot um, just because, you know, water's coming down, heavy current, so you want to be safe. And if you can't get out into the center of the stream and fish the banks, um, simply just stand along the bank. You know, you're typically going to have a little bit extra water, so you might even, the water might be overflowing onto the bank, so you have a little bit more footing, more room to stand, and then just make long upstream casts. Uh, and I, and I, on the Yampa that day, I was making long upstream casts, um, jigging the streamers back to me, uh, and they're, they're, they're really heavy streamers. I fished two four millimeter beads, tungsten, of course, um, two streamers on one line, really getting down, jig them. You know, he talks about adding motion so your fish can see them, also stalling them. And in fishing, those soft currents, your fish are going to, your flies are going to be in front of the fish a little bit better, a little bit longer, a little bit longer to entice the strike. But that streamer works great with the flash, it's got the long tail for the added movement just partnered with you know an upstream cast targeting slow water and you can also and this is the thing that i struggle with um, he talks about that fish will often hold 
where they hold in normal water situations. And so I often target the slowest of water, which you should. Uh, you should target the banks for sure. Those are going to be added structure and used a lot more in, in these sorts of situations. But you can also, you know, if you fish a stream over and over again, as many of us do, if you know that there's a hole, there's a big rock here, or a big boulder here, just because the water's turbid doesn't mean the fish isn't going to be there. You know, use some heavier flies, use some heavy weights, some extra split shot if that's your thing. You know, and, and if you know where that boulder is, put a cast there. There's that fish is definitely still, or there's fish definitely still probably using it. It's probably, and I can't guarantee that it's the same fish, but you know, you can still catch them in your normal spots, which is important. And that's something that I struggle with. Um, and also the thing that really jumped out on me and something that I have never really done. Um, he talks about when you fish your big fly size, he fishes nymphs rarely smaller than a size 14. And for me, that's like blasphemy. Like I hardly ever fish nymphs bigger than 18, let alone 16, but fishing a size 14 and up in nymphs is just not something that I do a lot. You know, I throw a lot of bigger mop flies, uh, streamers, maybe a stone fly here and there, and you know, a squirm, even though we can't use those in competition anymore. But so this is something that I want to put some time into is, you know, tying some nymphs in some bigger sizes. And I think that'd be really just kind of beneficial um, to try that out and see how that does. And it makes sense. You know, you want the fish to see it. The water clarity is not that good. The fish cannot see as well. So you want a little bit bigger flies to see them. Plus, I also mentioned that I jig those streamers, you know, jig your nymphs to put a little movement into the fly and see if you can entice a strike. So, let's see. Yeah, we'll touch on the, the next thing to, to, to focus on is water temperature. That's the, the next variable that's focused on in the book. Um, and he talks about how this could potentially be the best predictor of what the fish are gonna do that day. Um, he uses a word different from what I use, but he was, Devin's a fish, or is a fish biologist by degree, and so am I. Um, fish are pachylothermic. He uses a different word in the book, but I've known fish to be pachylothermic. And this means that their metabolism changes with water temperature. So essentially, the warmer the water gets within a point, within reason, the higher their metabolism is and vice versa. The colder the water gets, their metabolism starts to shut down, which explains why they don't feed a whole lot in the wintertime. They still feed, but it's dramatically reduced from when temperatures are more ideal. And so that peak feed is around 60 degrees uh, and a tighter range, about 57 to 63 degrees. And he has a nice graph in the book, uh, which really breaks that down for you on a study that he did with Arctic char. And it's just shifted a little bit for trout. And so the best way to combat this is when the water is cold, you wanna have more drifts from various angles, mix up your angles, show the fish something a little different, something to maybe entice that strike when they're sluggish, you know. Think about when you're tired of when you're on the couch and, um, you know, you want that bag of Doritos, but it's all the way over there on the counter and you don't want to get up on the couch. You know, maybe you look at it from a different angle. The light catches it some way and you're like, I got to go have those corn chips and you go get your Doritos. It's the same for fish. Um, and so ideal, ideal temperatures, then you can fish a little bit more quickly, maybe not spend as many, as much time casting or as in one spot, you know, cover that water. He also talks about checking temperatures through the day. Um, 
because if you get a dramatic warm up during the day, you could potentially get some hatch activity, which we'll talk about, you know, later. Um, but if it also, if you get a dramatic drop in temperature, you know, fish are going to get sluggish and maybe you were working quick and maybe you want to slow down. Maybe you want to change your, your technique, slow down your drifts a little bit more, maybe throw something a little bit more dramatic, something to pull a strike, you know, kind of out of shock factor, more out of a feeding, uh, anticipation. Um, and so then breaking down holding lies, slow, deep currents, uh, when the water gets cold and fish tend to condense a little bit more, you tend to catch more fish out of, of the same hole. They tend to group up kind of more into schools and stuff like that. And then in warm water, you know, they spread out more. They can occupy the deep pools, the fast water, the shallow stuff, the deep stuff. They're going to be more spread out. So maybe again, not worth your time standing in one spot, cover different water types, but in winter time you can kind of narrow it down and focus and focus on just certain slower water types slower glides slower eddies and, st and stuff like that um, however with all this being said this does not mean that the fish are not in the other water because if you potentially get a warm-up throughout the day you get that thermal change uh, they could move up maybe you have a hatch they move up to the faster water because those bugs are abundant and it's worth their time to expend that energy in the cold water so of course, in fly fishing, nothing is guaranteed. You always want to adapt and adjust based on, you know, the temperature of the day, you know, the color of the water. And so um, I think for this video, we're just going to go through those two variables, uh, reading that turbid water and the water temperature. There's a lot of information there. I don't want to overwhelm you guys so much. And then I'm going to break down probably in another video, we're going to talk about fish density um, fish species and then some hatch activity and some notes on there some stuff that I've realized some takeaways I had from the book but that's going to do it for this first video this first um, installment of the book club and I hope you guys all took something away please comment what your main takeaway was if I missed something that you took away and you read along please comment that as well if you enjoyed this leave a like subscribe whatever you please I hope you guys are learning some stuff and I hope you guys are going to imply this on your next trips out on the water. So tight lines, y'all. And I hope y'all have an absolutely wonderful day. We'll see you next time.